And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, we are getting down to the end here of 2023, as well as, of course, the Washington Commanders season, now that they've been eliminated from the playoffs, three games to go, starting with their final road game of the year, Sunday on Christmas Eve at the New York Jets. We don't really so much talk of a ton about that game, but I did talk about a ton of different important topics with our guy Al Galdi as we continue to go back and forth on each other's podcast throughout the season. A lot, of course, about Sam Howe and the decision to sit him in the fourth quarter against the Rams, bring in Jacoby Brissett. What does that mean going forward? What should it mean going forward with this team? Uh, we talked a lot about sort of the state of the team, uh, you know, the, the a lot of the topics that we've all kind of been, been, been banding around the last few weeks, but we got into much more of that. We also talked a lot about the stadium search in light of what happened last week with the Wizards and Capitals under owner Ted Leonsis uh, stating uh, an, a, an intention, a non-binding intention, but a, an intention nonetheless to move their arena to Virginia. What would that mean for the commanders? Is that, you know, seems like that eliminates Virginia from that pursuit. Uh, maybe makes DC a little bit more desperate, but Maryland is still there. What does it all mean? We'll get to that as well here on the standard room only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Um, please hit that subscribe button. And if, if you have yet to subscribe to the athletic a friend of mine said he gifted The Athletic to his uncle uh, recently, and I appreciate that. And, and you can do that as well. We've got uh, some nice discounts available for yourself or to give a subscription uh, as a gift. Um, and, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, X, whatever we want to call it, at Ben Standick. Same with threads, at Ben Standick. Um the Commanders do play this week against the Jets. Al and I didn't really talk too much about that. I don't even know if we discussed it at all. Uh, needless to say, for what's become a slog of a finish, this game could be the sloggiest of the slogs uh, when you have the Jets team that is arguably the worst offense in the league against a Washington team that has not won uh, for some time. So, what, five losses in a row for the Commanders. Um, nonetheless, this is... A really interesting matchup from the perspective that Sam Howell is going up against another really strong defense in the Jets. And obviously, Ron Rivera sat Sam Howell for the fourth, most of the fourth quarter uh, in uh, the last week's loss to the Rams. Still some confusion over why he did that. Um, he said essentially to protect Howell. I think there's, that's led to some speculation. It's like, does that mean that they've lost sort of faith? In Sam Howe, because it wasn't a game where Howe was getting battered physically. Um, Al and I talk a little bit about 
this. I, I think it's been overstated a bit that this means much of anything about Hal's future because none of the people who are currently here, we would think, are, will have any be any part of any decisions moving forward. So whether or not this is a sign that, you know, because Rivera did say that, um, you know, he, he, he was given a chance to say, nope, Sam Howe's still our guy, all that. And he kind of said, well, if this were the playoffs, you know, maybe we would consider something different. Uh, I don't personally quite get that thinking because if this were the playoffs, and assuming we're not saying the defense has gotten any better, then that would largely be because Sam Howe, you would think, played well. So I'm not sure why you would switch him. I think if there was a time to switch the quarterbacks, it would have been after week, what, week seven? Because in that stretch, you had just you had lost to the Bears 40-20. to 20. You beat Atlanta, but the offense was a non-factor in the, in the most of the second half of that game. And then they scored seven points in a loss to the Giants. Um, to me, at that stage, is when I've been like, okay, if this team needs a spark, if winning is the top priority, rather than developing a quarterback with a bit of a Hail Mary hope that maybe something happens there to keep the staff in place, um, you know, that's what I believe they were doing. But if they were trying to say we have to win the next game, so, so to speak, that's where you would have gone to percent. I don't know what the point would be doing it now. So, um, and like I said, if they were in the playoff mix, then I would imagine how was doing better. I just think they're playing a lot better defenses and there is some sort of sign of regression. Uh, when we talked to Terry McLaurin on Wednesday, he said, Teams are definitely dropping more into coverage, blitzing less. Um, and, and obviously for a team that's throwing as much as they are and with Hal's penchant for throwing interceptions lately, that there's some sense in why teams are doing that. Um, but that's why you got to let the quarterback, you know, play through these mistakes, play through some of these different situations. If your hope is to see him develop as a potential starter, we're all expecting big changes to come up, and therefore, who knows what the next decision maker will think of how or if, you know whether Washington should use their first-round pick on a quarterback. Big, uh, big topics to discuss, and we'll have plenty of time to do that once uh, as the season moves on, and once we know who's going to be making those decisions. Um, but Al and I got into a ton of these and other topics. An always interesting and insightful conversation with Al. Um, so we'll get to that here. And again, just wanted to say, hope everybody has, um, uh, you know, it's a, a big holiday week. Hope everyone has a great time. And whether you're celebrating Christmas or not, that you're able to spend it with friends and family and do, um, what you want to do. Uh, otherwise, um, I got back from LA, obviously, by the way, because I'm back from the game, but I was out there several days. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll discuss or, or share what I was doing out there. Um, it's nothing commanders related. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for another day. If people really wanted to know, hear about my LA trip, let me know um, on 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 X, Twitter, or email me bstandigattheathletic.com. Of course, you can share any of your thoughts about this team, this podcast, etc. There as well. But let's get to it. Here is my conversation with the guy Al Galdi uh, from the Al Galdi podcast, talking all things Commanders and. Um, what you know, the, the, the musical chair stadium situation going on in town. So we'll do that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, no matter what is going on with this team, no matter what location either of us are in, the tradition continues. 
one week I go on the Al Galdi podcast, and the other week Al Galdi comes on Standard Room Only. It is my chance to host uh, Mr. Galdi. So here we are, uh, Al. You know, I, I go away for 11 days, come back, and nothing has really changed uh, with this team other than I guess maybe we have a little bit of a weird quarterback stuff to discuss. Uh, but, yeah, it was, as you said, very a very predictable result that – Sadly, I don't think we even really care about much anymore. But more importantly, how are you? How 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 are things going in uh, Galdi Land? Uh, things are well. I'm glad that you made it back from California in one piece, and uh, you know, not having been arrested, at least as far uh, as we can tell. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. This so feels like the last week of school right now. You know, with this commander season, like nothing really matters. We're all just waiting for the end. It feels like a lot of rules are being relaxed. I mean, Ron's press conferences, he is giving ultra short answers. He doesn't want to be there. I feel like a lot of the media is out of questions. <laughs> it's just we're all waiting for what we all know is coming. You know, like this firing is going to be the least surprising firing in the history of firings. I'm convinced of that at this point. And Man, we haven't had something like this in a while. I mean, this is the most meaningless season from a playoff contention standpoint since 2019. But this is kind of different, I feel like, because we know that what's coming in January is going to be like monumental, you know? And, and in that regard, I feel like this is kind of odd. Now is the downtime. Like the real season is going to start in the, in the middle of January and then it's on. And I think what happens middle of January onward is going to be so much more uh, important and so much more really interesting as compared to what's happened September through December. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, but that's what we're headed for. I feel like now is the preseason and the regular season, the true meaningful portion uh, of the campaign uh, is still to come. Yeah. Well, you know, to your point about like, this is such a slog to the end. Like I feel like my trip was like, like senior skip day. I knew that <laughs> yeah. a- attending practice would not really matter in any real way. Um, so, uh, worked out for me in that regard, but you're right. I mean, the last three years under Rivera, they were in the playoffs the one year, obviously. And then the other two, like, you know, they came down towards the end of the season at, at least. And then there was the last maybe a week or two of figuring out, okay, well now where, th- where do things go? And even last year, you know, Sam Howe starting the final game gave some intrigue to that. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, I, I, I I think at times, like, I think you're really good at obviously just covering all these teams in general, but you're really good at staying on point, staying on focus, staying engaged with what's happening in the moment, because that's what your listeners want to hear. They turn into you to hear what's going on with your team. I have a bad habit, I think, at times, maybe it's not a bad habit, but of looking way too ahead. I mean, I don't I don't really know. I mean, did I think that this team would be better than they were this year? Sure. Of course. I mean, who didn't? Who Who saw the defense imploding? to this degree, but it's been a long time for me looking, going, well, nothing really matters. And honestly, even before the year started, it was like it, this season matters, but only to the point of getting us to the end to see what Josh Harris is then going to do. It, it seemed like Rivera was going to have, you know, a minimal chance to stay unless the team had a, just a surprisingly good year, uh, which obviously has not happened. And so, yeah, we're in this just weird, weird limbo and you're so right. I don't even know Ron's answers. I, I was on with the uh, sports junkies earlier, and they asked me, um, 
what point like they were saying the same thing that you just did about ron's press conferences and they're like what point did you see him being if checked out's the right word whatever and uh i was like after they lost to tommy devito i thought that that was he didn't have anything else to pitch he didn't have this about developing a young quarterback he didn't have we're still learning you know uh no and and it's it's been it's a journey to, to this point for sure do you think that he has been told by josh harris that Ron is out, that like Josh and Ron have had the conversation and Josh has said, you are going to be out. We're going to let you finish the season. You know, we respect you, but it's going to be over. Because like, of course, there's the air of inevitability that has been in effect for months. But I don't know, man, it almost feels like he has been told that it's over because he's coming off uh, in that way to me. Like, like he's done. He knows it's done. And it's just about, you know, riding the wave to the end of the season. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's it is sort of a weird and awkward scenario, right? Like, if you're Josh Harris, um, you know, I know a lot of people say just get rid of him now, and I'm kind of like, well, what's the what? What's the point? I mean, it doesn't really matter. And somebody, you know, there are there is the day to day functionality of what it means to be the coach in the in the lead of the team, uh, whether it's press conferences or things you have to do you know, various interviews or or just, you know, dealing with the team that now all of a sudden you'd have to shift all those responsibilities to someone else. Um, you know, it's it's more, it's, it feels like it's more of a hassle than it's worth. You know, and then there's other reasons as well. Um, so I would guess no is my, is what I'm saying, I guess. But, I, it, you know, it does feel like it's inevitable. And, and, and here's the thing, like I've heard, uh, I don't know if it was with the Brandon Staley thing with the Chargers, but like, you know, some people say, hey, look, they can get ahead of the curve now because they can now openly make calls without feeling like they're doing it behind his back. I think the thing about Josh Harris is when they came in here, they basically said, look, we're not going to do anything because we need to learn the ropes. And under the guise of learning the NFL ropes, you can talk to all kinds of people you want about it, all kinds of all kinds of things, even if it is to say, Hey, we're how do we evaluate our head coach? Is it just wins and losses? What are the things we need to be looking at to do this? So I, I, I'm not worried about that. I'm, I know that they've been they've been doing their homework for weeks and months, but it is weird and awkward. And yeah, Ron, Ron's press conferences are are a bit painful for sure. Yeah, you know, it's just such a bummer, such a letdown. Like at least if the season was not going to go well. You at least wanted to exit this thing by saying, well, they are in a better place now as compared to January 2020 when Ron got hired. And, you know, beyond the obvious thing of, well, the ownership has changed are the commanders is the team measurably improved from now as compared to January 2020 when Ron took over. You know, we've talked about the state of the roster and how this season in so many ways has been this like repudiation of Ron's work in terms of player personnel these last few four years. And I think that that is what is sticking. I know with me as much as anything, like the record is what it is. So whether the team was, you know, going to go eight and nine or nine and eight or seven and 10, or even like 10 and seven. Okay, fine. But, you know, I think there's an understanding of records can kind of fluctuate. What you wanted was, Hey, this team is in a decent spot, right? Like the thinking for a lot of people has been, well, the roster is pretty good. The coaching is bad, but the roster is pretty good. And as this season goes on, I don't know how you arrive at any conclusion other than 
the roster isn't as good as we thought it might be. And that doesn't mean that there is like zero talent on this team, but there ain't nearly as much talent as we thought. And there's a lot more work that has to be done from a roster construction standpoint than we thought. And I think that that is something that really has emerged these last few weeks. And, you know, I think that that has hit Ron. He had one of these post-game pressers got asked, like, uh, I think it was after the, the, the Cowboys loss or the Dolphins loss about, you know, are, are you surprised or are you disappointed that it looks this bad? You know, and, and he, he gave this very sheepish answer, basically, of like, yeah, I am. You know, because I, I think it's hit him that his work as the head coach in this coach-centric approach has not been good enough, has not been close to good enough. And I think that that's what is really sticking with people as much as anything. I mean, however you want to look at roster management, right? Like, I mean, the Cameron Cheeseman thing is like a perfect example, right? Just just player personnel malpractice of the highest order in so many ways. And that's what really has emerged from this season, that I don't know that this team is measurably better from a football op standpoint now as compared to four years ago when he took over. And boy, that's a real indictment of this regime. A hundred percent. I mean, I always go back to the quote he gave to John Kine before the year starts, like he, him kind of acknowledging, look, this might be the last year because there's a new owner and new owners make changes. Okay. But if the next coach comes in and wins and it's got, you know, the quarterback we, we found and the 40 players on the roster that we, you know, left in the cupboard, you know, send me my ring. And that was an, it was a bizarre comment to make in the real time, but at least it did feel like in that real time, like, all right, well, from a roster perspective, we didn't know necessarily what Howell was going to be, but the rest of it, we're like, okay, there's some, the cupboard won't be bare for the next guy. Boy, does it feel pretty bare right now when you consider that the three players that we would all cite as sort of the building blocks, McLaurin, Allen, and Payne have all been paid significantly already. It's not like they're like, you know, they're good players, but it's not like they're some, you know, some something cheap that you can still kind of, uh, you know, work with and from a salary cap perspective. So, yeah, it is it is quite insane. You mentioned the Cheeseman thing. I mean, that that is, uh, you know, drafting a long snapper in and of itself would have been fascinating. But OK, teams occasionally do draft a kicker and they do occasionally draft a long snapper. But the trading up for it was just so insane. And, and it was like, it wasn't trading up. They traded, they didn't have, they traded future picks to get back into the the later rounds. They got Cheeseman, the same deal. They also got a pick that turned into William Bradley King. So that's not, there's no, there's no help on that end. But the idea of doing this, you know, I, I wrote after the Rams game, it was much, I you know, I think we're all struggling to figure out what to write. <laughs> and I went with, you know, Josh Harris is you know, going on these trips. Part of it is to check out the stadium. And part of it, you hope, is to learn what other teams are doing. And the Rams have a clear, distinct plan. Their plan is, you know, the F them picks. That's about trading high picks, or at least, you know, it, it, it was prior to them sort of taking a step back, um, trading those high picks to get talent. But they're not trading all their picks. They're using their mid to late round picks to fortify the rest of the roster. And the other day, you know, a guy like Kyron Williams has a way over 100 yards against Washington. He was a fifth-round pick. Uh, Puka Nakua, their wide receiver, who's had a stunningly good rookie year, was a fifth-round pick. And Washington's trading away a, a pick for a long snapper. That 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 is insane. And, you know, the, and it, the fact that Cheeseman, uh, you know, 
stunk this year basically and and, and now is is gone only makes it worse because the only justification for doing that was like well at least the long snapper can stay eight to ten years and that didn't even happen and you're right the, the the process that led to that choice is so symbolic of everything else that has happened here and that's such the problem yeah i mean i've been pounding that uh on my show and one of the things that i talked about was what happened with the pick that immediately followed washington taking cameron cheeseman so cheeseman got taken with the number 225 overall pick in that 2021 draft people say like you just said well you know stop harping on well they took a long snapper if the guy's good you're okay with that well yes and no uh yes if the guy's good and and like you said it's your long snapper for a decade plus okay you know that there is uh, at least somewhat of a victory there But the pick right after that, the Kansas City Chiefs took Trey Smith. And for those who don't know, Trey Smith has been a staple on the Chiefs offensive line each of the last three seasons. He has started 47 of a possible 48 regular season games. There are good players all over the place in NFL drafts. And so to waste a pick on what is, in my opinion, the least valuable position in football, long snapper. Not to say that it doesn't matter, but if you were to rank all of the positions in football, right, con- uh, construct a hierarchy, long snapper would be last, okay? I don't even know how you could argue otherwise. And so you spend a pick on that, and you get something like that. That juxtaposition of 225, Washington takes Cameron Cheeseman, cut before the end of his third season. 226, the Chiefs, who've had a bit more success than Washington has had these last few years, Take Trey Smith, staple for their offensive line these last three seasons. That says so much. And, you know, the other thing I've thought about is if you're Josh Harris, right, a man of analytics, you're Eugene Shen, a man of analytics, what do you think they think (laughs) about Cameron Cheeseman? Ron spending a pick on Cheeseman, a pick that Ron traded up for, and Cheeseman ending up not being a very good player. Like, Josh Harris doesn't need any more reason to move on from this regime. But man, I mean, is that not like a flashing neon sign of this current regime is the antithesis of what we want, right? Like we know Josh Harris, Eugene Shen, they want a forward thinking analytics football operations regime. At least we think that I certainly hope that that's what we get. And that Cameron Cheeseman saga is the exact opposite of that. Like, I I don't think you could create uh, a, a greater and brighter contrast to what the ownership wants versus what the ownership currently has. Yeah, for sure. And and not to mention, like, and, and I haven't done the math to see how all this has played out, but the thought was in that 2021 year that it was considered to be a, a thin draft in terms of just sheer number of prospects versus the 2022 draft was viewed as one that was considered to be deeper. And they traded out of the 20, or not out, but they traded a 2022 pick to get two picks in 2021 neither of whom are on the team and and, you know William Bradley King never really even contributed much in in any real uh way Um, and and just to to add it to a different level of this sort of roster construction curious what you think about this so the the game on on Sunday you know typically a team will have three or four defensive backs play essentially the whole game 100% of the snaps and that's been the case here Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Juice, Cam Curl, they typically are staying in there all game. And then whoever is in that Derek Forrest, Percy Butler spot also is typically playing the whole game. But what was interesting in this game was they had five defensive backs play every snap, Quan Martin being the fifth. 
Now, Emmanuel Forbes was healthy, but he only played six snaps. Oh, sorry, he was active, only played six snaps. I still wonder if he was maybe dealing with this elbow injury. I saw in the locker room after the game, he was needing some help to get off his um, jersey and pads. So, you know, who knows? But okay. But Ron seemed to suggest that it was a little bit of like a, a, a the matchup was at least something to do with it. But whatever the scenario is, he only plays six snaps. This was the entire point of why it didn't make any sense that they drafted two defensive backs with the first with their first two picks because your second round pick needs to be playing. I know that does not seem to be the norm here, but that guy needs to have a role. And when you and in the and I always look at it, the best case scenario, the I always, you know, the Wizards example for me always was when they signed Jan Mahimi, forget the money. He could not play with March and Gortat. They were both natural centers. So in the best case scenario, you had just signed a guy to play 18 minutes a game as the backup or something. So here, there is what was the scenario in which you were going to get maximum value out of Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin, assuming that everybody else was available. And by the way, Derek Forrest has been out most of the year. And it's still that case because Percy Butler was a guy that was a fourth round pick and you're playing. What was the plan that, that you were going to, in a year in which you needed to win, your plan was to draft two defensive backs one of whom was likely to not play much or ma- or play to the level of the round that they were picked in. And the same thing happened a year before Federian Mathis to a degree. Like th- this stuff like this happens. Like what I their lack of a plan is just become even just more apparent over time. And and yeah, and that was an, for me at least another example as to uh, as to how that played out. And you certainly can't blame a dy- a dynamic of the front office is on one page and the head coach is on another page because. Right. You know, they are the same person. Like one thing that we did have with Bruce Allen and Jake Rudin was this lack of organizational alignment where Bruce would be, you know, going in one direction and Jay would be going in another direction. You certainly can't say that here with uh, this coach centric approach. You know, it's funny going back to what the commanders did in the 2023 draft. I actually applauded the selections of Emmanuel Forbes and Quan Martin from this perspective, those picks reek to me of drafting for best player available. Because I said to myself kind of what you just said, well, there isn't some screaming need in the secondary. uh, So it must be that Washington really likes these players and values these players. And, you know, is going to get some good production out of these players. And you'll, you know, you'll kind of figure out who plays where and when. So I actually thought that this was encouraging that this was going with that BPA philosophy, which I think is almost always the way to go in the NFL draft. Well, (laughs) whatever the philosophy that drove those selections, clearly they were not good selections, you know, at least as things stand right now. I mean, Forbes, this really is alarming. What's happened with him this season, the bad play, the benching, the injury, now him, at least in theory, being healthy. And he barely plays this past Sunday in, in a meaningless game in a lost season. That was so strange to me. And, you know, Quan Martin hasn't played much this season until now. So, you know, maybe these guys develop, but no doubt. I, I mean, if you look at the first and second round picks for this team with Ron Rivera running things, beyond, I guess, Samuel Cosme, who's having a nice season, there's not a first or second round pick who you feel really good about. Now that's not to say that there haven't been some good things from some of these guys at times and things could still work out for some of these guys. But uh, boy, I mean, the first round picks very underwhelming and the second round picks underwhelming. I mean, again, Cosme's having a good season and is staying healthy and maybe there's something there. Uh, but like that should not be your, uh, your, your shining light, you know, your shining star in terms of first and second round picks over a four year run. 
got to get better at the draft. There's no question about that. And, uh, you know, this is where you hope the next regime really shines, you know, because we know that teams have great drafts. Like the Detroit Lions draft has been trumpeted for a while now. And like those things can happen where you get three or four true impact players in a draft. And it's funny, right? 2020, you get Cameron Curl in the seventh round and you get Antonio Gibson in the third round. And Chase Young has this great rookie season. And you say, wow. This regime knows what it's doing, you know, right. and then Kyle Smith goes bye bye. Not to say that he was the reason for those picks, but he did uh, put together the draft board for that draft in the previous three drafts for Washington. And since then, I mean, the draft uh, production, what this team has gotten from drafts really hasn't floored you in any meaningful way. I mean, you know, Derek Forrest. OK, fifth round pick looks nice, but. You know, he's only had one good season. Two seasons ago, he barely played as a rookie. Last year was good. This season has been injury marred, and he wasn't playing that well before the injury. So I don't even know anymore if you put Derek Forrest in that category of like a true draft hit. Uh, beyond Cam Curl, and I guess maybe Gibson, although again, that's kind of a maybe. Who are the great, you know, significant draft hits for this team under Rod? Brian Robinson? Okay, he's pretty good, but, you know, he's not blowing anyone away. Like, who are the real, true draft hits over four drafts uh there's not a long list that you can point to right i mean obviously sam howell is on the list but the 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 point there for me is like if you're they're gonna keep touting that they had this first or second round grade on him i'm be like okay cool then why did you trade down from the fourth round instead of taking this kid i mean carson Wentz, you weren't extending the deal so obviously the future was uncertain and all that stuff um and, and i do want to get to 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 the howl of it all um in, in, in a moment, it, well, we can do it now. Um, but the quarterback situation, what was your reaction when they, when, when Jacoby Brissett goes out there in the fourth quarter uh, of that game? Because obviously to this point, Hal had stayed in the game. There was the one game where they pulled him. He was, they, I forget which game it was, but they were getting blown out and he was getting beat up. So they just pulled him for the last couple of minutes, but Brissett didn't even throw a pass. So what was your reaction initially when the move, when that happened? Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I was really worried that this signaled the end for Sam as a starting quarterback this season. And that is the last thing that I want. I want Sam as a starter for the rest of this season. I said that going into this season. I wanted him as a QB1 for the entirety of this season. So I actually was really relieved when Ron at his postgame presser said that Sam still was the starting quarterback. Um, you know, looking back on it, I don't think it's terrible that Sam got benched. I think there was a feeling, perhaps even a frustration with, you know, not just him struggling, but him missing things. And I think there may have been this thinking of maybe it, it's time for him to just take a brief time out and just kind of see someone else do it. I think sometimes there can be value in that of you've been doing it all year. You know, you're beat up, you're frustrated, things aren't going well. If you take a time out and maybe see someone else doing what you were doing, maybe you can pick up some things on that. So I think maybe there is something to be taken from that. But um what really hit me regarding this whole quarterback thing was when Ron on Monday afternoon got asked, Hey, if you were still in playoff contention, would Sam still be the starting quarterback? And Ron kind of hemmed and hawed, but basically gave an answer that at least to me said, no, uh, Sam would not still be the starting quarterback. Jacoby Brissett would be the starting quarterback. And of course that is in direct contrast to this thing of this season is all about Sam Howell and, you know, growth and development and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Ron, every 30 seconds, whenever he could, would bring up Sam Howell. I mean, Ron would get asked a question about, um, you know, how do we uh, fix the deficit issue? And he would bring up Sam Howell. Like, he did all that he could to mention Sam Howell. And we have gone from that 
and, you know, growth and development to, yeah, if we were in playoff contention, <laughs> Sam probably wouldn't be the starter anymore. He didn't say that, but I, that's what I took from his answer to that question. So, you know, with Ron, we've gotten used to this, right? There's sort of a lack of consistency, a lack of congruence, and the messaging can change so quickly. Um, so those are the things that kind of leapt out at me. But look, there, there's no question. Sam has to remain the starter. Either he plays better over these final three games and you have something moving forward, or he continues to play poorly and he helps you in this quest to get as high of a first-round pick as possible. Like, I, I think it's one extreme or the other. Um, and, you know, I mean, you wrote about this months ago with Jacoby Brissett. He's a road to nowhere. He is a very respectable quarterback and sure seems like a great teammate. I mean, he said some really good stuff, I thought, after the game. But he's not taking you anywhere. So, And, and it would seem that the, the team does recognize that. And so, thankfully, Sam is still the guy. My, my worry, though, would be this. You know, you're facing a great Jets defense on Sunday. And, by the way, a massive game for, from a draft positioning standpoint. If Sam is really bad again, would we get the change at, at, in terms of the starting quarterback? And I hope not, but I do wonder about that now because there does seem to be a frustration with how poorly Sam has been playing. Yeah, the – you're not the only one I've heard in, in, in take the inference that Ron made that like if this was a, if they were in contention for something that Sam could be a bench. My only thought though there would be well if they're in contention then presumably he is playing well. Like I know that last year, for example, the defense was playing really well and Ron ultimately made the change at quarterback to go from Heineke to Wentz and needless to say that didn't work out. But you know I, I don't think they were going anywhere with Heineke either. I don't personally view making the playoffs as some massive goal if you have no real chance to uh, compete. Uh, so I, I, I'm assuming if they were in the playoff contention that Howe would have been doing better than he's doing. But that aside, um, I, I yeah, I, I completely agree. It, it doesn't make any sense to me if they decide um, to go with Brissett here because of what you just said. I mean, Ron was preaching all this stuff. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it was just as he has done through four years, what's the narrative I can spin today? And it, it became how, and then once things started to fall apart is when he's gotten really quiet and hasn't been stating, uh, stating much. Um, what I thought was interesting was some of the reaction post, not post game, meaning like in the locker room, but I mean like the day after. And here's a, an example. So Stephen Ruiz, who writes for The Ringer, he's actually based here in D.C. I don't know him, but I'm, a, I'm familiar with his work. And he tweeted that, um, he, he said here, still thinking about Ron Rivera saying he pulled Sam Howe only pro to protect him from injury. Well, actually, he didn't say that. He said to protect, essentially to protect. But the, that was the question. Is it injury or was it protecting him from like another pick six or whatever? But he says, is that something you can really really afford to do with a young QB in his first season starting when you don't really know what to make of him yet? Makes no sense to me to limit his reps. Cool. Then he was said, has been my opinion all season and Sunday and on games. Uh, oh, has been my opinion all season and Sunday's game made me feel stronger. That staff knows Brissett is the best QB on the roster, but you're not buying yourself another year with him as your starter. How showing promise was the only way results have been mixed there. Okay, again, I, I concur. This has been my point. Again, let's go back in time. Ron Rivera essentially named Sam Howell the starter a, less than a week after the season ended. He didn't know he didn't have an OC yet. He hadn't he hadn't signed a competition quarterback. 
And they're already saying that Hal was going to be the guy. I, it seemed very odd. And I re- tweeted slash reported in real time that part of the reason why they made that announcement about how was to change the narrative from everybody stopped talking about why Wentz was a bomb and how the season imploded and switch it to something promising. And it a hundred percent worked. We all moved on, but I quote, so, okay. You're with me here so far. Yeah. Okay. So I even quote tweeted Steven and said, I would say that this has been almost everyone's view from the jump. Now, uh, two things. One, I wasn't really trying to be, uh, or start a, a uh, make that a jerky tweet, but I don't know. I was in the mood, I guess, so maybe it came across that way, or maybe it was that way. I don't know. Um, but then two, I, I said almost everyone's view. I guess that was a, a, an overstatement because it wasn't everybody's view, but okay. But then I got reaction from so many people saying to me, "They're pretty sure the consensus." This is one guy at Strife Chamber. I'm pretty sure the consensus on the beat was that Jacoby didn't look good in camp, and Sam would have beat him if it was a true competition. Uh, somebody else wrote, a uh, guy who I, I, I enjoy on Twitter, Ben, this is disappointing to see you say this now. You never gave this indication throughout the offseason or the regular season. And and somebody else said, like, I'm just kicking Sam when he's down or whatever. And it made me confused because here's what how I saw the situation. And I know I'm talking here a lot, so appreciate it. No, go ahead. There was no competition between Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. The competition was, could Sam Howell not vomit all over himself during OTAs and minicamp and, and, and the preseason? That when you make a decision six days after the season ends to say he will be the guy after one start, after and then Ron Rivera has said, depending on which, which uh, tale you believe, he d- did not 100% understand or believe that Sam Howell could be the guy. And yet they did this because they recognized what was obvious that with the owner, that they're not getting any quarterback of substance to come there until Dan Snyder is gone. They also were probably already knew they were going to be limited from a budget perspective on what they could do, which was the budget term was mentioned a lot. And obviously other than Deron Payne, they were pretty frugal this past off season. And lastly, and most importantly, a Jacoby Brissett type, which is probably the best they were going to be able to get would put them back in the same position. They've been the last three years. Right in the middle at best, if you know where you know with uh, everything else, right? Sam Howe was the opportunity to say, "Here's the hail mary. If this kid works out, we drafted him, we developed him. You don't want to mess that up. You want to keep us around. And if it doesn't work, well, then it, it was probably going to happen anyway." And what I'm stunned by is the amount of people who think that there was an actual competition. And that Jacoby Brissett, if the goal was to win the next game, if the goal was to win week one, win week two, if the goal was to get to eight wins, Jacoby Brissett was definitely the better quarterback. Training camp competition is doesn't really matter unless it is a 100% it's either guy's job. It wasn't. And Jacoby Brissett has real experience. He, of course, would be the guy that you would go to if the goal was to worry about the next game. And so it sort of blows my mind that so many people seem to be thinking – that there was a real competition that Sam Howe won it, and that to suggest now that Brissett wouldn't give you the better chance to win a given game isn't a thing. I I I don't understand that. Yeah, well, I I mean I do remember in camp 
it being said, I don't know if it was said specifically by you or by many or a few or whatever, but I do remember it being said that Jacoby wasn't like setting the world on fire. So there was sort that of is an true. Impl- yeah. Okay. So there, there sort of was an implication of Sam at the very least is neck and neck with Jacoby. And because Sam has upside, you know, he gets uh, the, uh, the breaking of the tie. But yeah, I, I mean, Jacoby didn't take his first rep with the first team, I, I forget when I, I, I made a whole issue out of this, but it, it was like so deep into things that it made it so obvious that there wasn't a real competition. And of course there wasn't, but honestly, I didn't have a problem with that. I don't think that many people had a problem with that. I, I think the thinking always was okay. In week one, it may be that Jacoby Brissett at that moment in time is better than Sam, but the hope was by week three, week four, week six, week eight, week 10, week 12, Sam would be better because, again, of this upside. Like, Jacoby is this known quantity. Sam is this unknown with upside. And I still do think that. And so I think that was the thinking. And, you know, when we had the win at Denver or we had Sam on that nice run that he had, you know, even in you know what were losses, but you look at what he did against Philadelphia and some of the other games, I think there was a feeling of, okay, Sam is on the rise and, and that upside is being realized here. And I, I think what's jarring about these last three games now is that, we're seeing regression or we're at the very least seeing a stalling of the growth. So, you know, the, uh, I don't think it's a revelation that Jacoby was better. Maybe he still is better than Sam. I mean, I guess it depends on kind of the circumstance and, you know, what, what day you're talking about, what game you're talking about. But I, I think that's okay. I, I don't think that that's some like massive reveal. I think it's more Sam had this opportunity to be a lot better than Jacoby is. And was that going to be realized? hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. And I don't know that it is being realized. That's why I think these last three games are so key. Now, you know, they don't set up well. I mean, these are three of the best defenses in the NFL, Jets, Niners, Cowboys. Sam isn't playing well right now. And, you know, I think there's an aspect here of not just what we're seeing, but also of what Sam isn't seeing. You know, it's not just the picks and some of the inaccurate throws that are obvious, but I, I think there's a frustration within the coaching staff of Sam missing some things on the field. You know, I think that's part of what that benching was about and so you know you want to see him end strong uh, you know and I hope that we see that but I don't know that we're going to see that like we might see Sam look really bad over these last three games and and you know in a big picture standpoint that to me might be what is best for this team but let's see uh but yeah the Jacoby Brissett thing whatever man you know even if they were three games better right now if they weren't four and ten they were seven and seven because Jacoby was the starter the entire year so what? Like, what would that accomplish? That wouldn't mean anything. You know, I, I, I think we've all kind of gotten smartened up to this. The middle is a road to nowhere. It's true in every sport now. You either want to be really bad or really good. And if you're, if you're not on one of those paths, then there's a problem. And so, you know, if they were going to go eight and nine this year, but it was going to be because Sam got better as the year went on. That's one thing. But if they were going to go eight and nine this year, because Jacoby had a solid year as their quarterback. (laughs) So what? (laughs) So freaking what? Um, So that's kind of where I'm at on it. And I I think most people are along those lines. I mean, uh, I I don't, I I don't know at this point how you can argue that they would have been better off with Jacoby as a starter this year. I I don't know what the, uh, the rationale behind that would be. Right. No, uh, uh, com- completely agree. I guess, like I said, it's not, it's just that the, the idea from the jump was to do exactly what we're saying yeah. to, to shoot for the moon with Sam Howell. It wasn't to say who's going to give us the best chance to win this year. If that was the case, they would have gone with Jacoby Brissett. I, uh, so I don't know, just sort of 
But I guess like this is the thing. There's so many people who, well, I don't know. It's hard to know. So many, some, a handful, the loud people, who knows? But who 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 think that making the playoffs is the end all be all? It's the same issue. You know, I always bring up the Wizards. It's the same issue there. Um, you know, the, for years it was all about making the eight seed. Start. Unfortunately, that was the owners' box wanting. <laughs> wanting that and it took too long for them to realize we got to get out of this and they eventually trade bradley beal and got 30 cents on the dollar for it um the good thing here is in terms of going forward whether sam howe works out or not they're not encumbered by, or, yeah, they're not they're not dealing with any bad quarterback contract you know that they're not de- they're, they got a ton of cap space a ton of roster flexibility they can kind of do whatever they want going forward but i don't know like i said that was to me the only part that was weird and and also you know sam howe's development has been the main story for most of the year and up until a few weeks ago i would say his because he was looking you know had looked shown enough shown a lot that that development was was trumping where they were picking in the draft but now that the draft pick is sitting right there at four i am not screwing with that at all and if i even got a whiff if i'm josh harris and got a whiff that you were going to put jacoby Brissett in for real I would be calling up Ron and saying, uh, could you walk me through this? Because I don't know what is the point. What what yeah. are we doing at this stage that makes anybody think that whatever, Eric Bieniemy's offense looks better because Brissett's in there? Well, you could have made that decision in week three. You didn't. So what's the point now? And that was one of my concerns when Sam got benched was – that like say Eric the enemy wanted to show that his stuff works. And so he had Sam benched so that Jacoby could go into the game, run good offense and make everyone realize, Hey, it's Sam's fault, not Eric's fault that the offense is looking so bad. That's why I was so relieved. I can't overstate that when Ron announced after the game uh, that Sam was still the starting quarterback. Uh, Yeah. You know, this is this season in so many ways, at least from an on the field standpoint has been about Sam. And, you know, how does he do and what is he and what can he be? And we're still there. You know, that to me has not changed, even with him playing poorly recently. And um, this is what the season has become. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the trajectory isn't different. Like if the poor play had happened earlier in the year and what we saw earlier in the year was happening now, the conversation would be so much different. You know, like how you end matters. I think people forget this. Dwayne Haskins in his rookie season actually played quite well over his final two games before he suffered a season ending injury. And so going into 2020, there actually was this feeling of, hey, things started to click for Dwayne late in his rookie season. And so perhaps, you know, he's sort of coming uh, into his own as an NFL quarterback. Maybe there is something there. But that to me actually is a forgotten aspect of Ron going with Dwayne as a QB1 in 2020. And maybe Ron didn't want to go with Dwayne. But it wasn't crazy to go with Dwayne as the QB1 going into 20 because, again, he had played better as that 2019 season had gone on. And so you felt like, hey, maybe there's something there. Obviously, there wasn't much there. Uh, But, you know, how a a young quarterback can end a season, I think, can impact how you you view things. The other thing, too, is this. Sam still has only played in 15 NFL regular season games. I go back to the last day three quarterback for Washington, who ended up being a real hit, Kirk Cousins. You know, if you remember, Kirk had the great spot start in 2012, the win over Cleveland, but he did not look particularly good in the 2013 and 2014 seasons. You know, it wasn't until the 2015 season for which he was named QB1 for the entire year that he really started to ascend. And so, you know, it took a while for things to sort of click for him. 
I do wonder with Sam if maybe, you know, we do need to be more patient. And, you know, I, I wouldn't use that as reasoning for not taking a quarterback if you have a top four pick and you like one or more of these quarterbacks. But I do wonder about that. Like, he's played in 15 regular season games. Like, maybe by game 20, it really starts to come together for the guy. You know, it's not like it's been all bad, right, as we've talked about. There's been some good. Lately, there's been more bad. Uh, but I, I do think about that sometimes. Like, you know, imagine judging any player based on 15 regular season games and saying, OK, that's it. He can't be the guy. Like, would you really know that? Um, I think in a lot of cases you wouldn't. So I think that is something uh, also to keep in mind. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Not to mention, like, you know, clearly, you know, this coaching staff is not across the board, I guess you could say, has just not, you know, done enough. You know, what what would it look like under a different staff uh, with a better, you know, like I think the offensive line has probably gotten ultimately like too much um, blame, so to speak, but the, obviously it's an underwhelming group and it's, you know, to use your point from before, it's, it's probably a worse group than it was back in 2020 when you had Brandon Scherf and Morgan Moses and a healthy Chase Ruier and things like that. Um, So yeah, it, it would be curious to see. And that's, what's going to be interesting going forward here whoever is in charge next to determine assuming that they have still a top, you know, five pick, what's the direction? Do you want, do you go for the moon with a guy like a Jalen, Jalen Daniels um, from the the Heisman trophy winner from LSU who looks really good, but you know, is maybe picking him that high based on what we see with the uh, current evaluations. Maybe that's a little high. Or do you say, you know what, we've got to build from the foundation up, uh, the offensive tackle, the defensive end, do the thing that Ron said, when you don't have a quarterback, you can still build <laughs> around them and then plug the guy in. Um, yeah. I think that's obviously going to be huge. And and that's the thing with how, like if you were going to give me any justification for sitting him, it would purely be perception because a few weeks ago, if you had said to look, they're going to pass on the quarterback high because Sam Howell looks good and he's got the money. He's got the cheap contract. Let's roll it one more year and see cool but at the moment it's getting tougher and by the way the next three games are you know going to be arguing against the three best defenses they will have faced all season in the Jets Niners and Cowboys assuming Dallas has something to play for in the end so um yeah I mean I I think that's going to be the huge question that we're all going to discuss going forward is is the better choice stay with Hal not because even as you think he's all that, but because you're better off using those assets to to fortify their whole roster, which we just acknowledge is thinner, weaker than we imagined uh, a, f- a couple months ago. Uh, or do you, hey, you can't pass on a quarterback if, if you think he's remotely interesting. That's going to be the really fun debate here for all of us. Yeah, and I think how Sam does these final three games is going to help sort of shape that debate because if he's really bad, then I think it's going to be almost impossible to justify not using that first-round pick on a quarterback. Um, you know, because I think we all know, like, quarterback matters so much more than anything else. And, you know, you can build up the rest of the roster. That sounds fine and dandy. But if you have bad quarterback play, that only does so much for you. And, you know, the other thing, too, is this, and this is kind of like, you know, poetry, but if there's one thing – that you could undo from the Ron Rivera era. And obviously there's hindsight here, but the one thing you would undo is taking Chase Young at number two in 2020 and you'd take Justin Herbert, right? I mean, I think we all would agree on that. So here you are now going into a new regime and you're right back to having a top four pick, it looks like, maybe even higher. You're going to get another opportunity to take a quarterback super high in an NFL draft. Are you again 
going to punt on that opportunity, right? Like, let's learn from what happened in 2020. And so as appealing as, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is and Olu Fashanu is, and uh, those guys are awfully appealing. But if Sam doesn't play well and he doesn't look like your QB1 moving forward, are you going to pass on this year's versions of, you know, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Tua Tunga-Vailoa, Jalen Hurts, you know, however you want to sort of do the parallel? Uh, no, I mean, heck no. Like, you got to go quarterback. You got to take a swing at that position, assuming that you like enough things about enough of these quarterbacks. So, yeah, uh, I, I think these final three games, as much as they don't matter, they do matter. Because if Sam does well, that changes the conversation. But if he continues to struggle, then uh, I think we are talking a whole lot about quarterback in this draft. And also, just in terms of the Ron Rivera era, I mean, like we've been saying, it's already ending with a slog to the finish line. And as much as it's been frustrating the last few years, you know, there you can make an argument, at least the first three years, that, look, they've had no success at quarterback, nothing sustainable, and yet they've been able to be in the playoff contention to a degree deep into the season every time. That every year you think they're down and out, they come back, they rally, he rallies the troops, they they they, they play better, whatever. And this year, not it's already like, oh my lord! And now, realistically, you know they they they're, they're certainly not going to be favored in these last three games. Could lose them all to go out at a four and thirteen, having lost. Uh, what would that be? Eight in the last eight. The last win was New England, so whatever that win made them, yeah, yeah. So I mean. Yeah, it's five five straight losses, so it would be eight straight losses. Yeah, yeah. So like that's just uh, you know what it's you know perception. I, I made I made this analogy the other day. Angelo Dundee would tell his fighters like Sugar Ray Leonard and Muhammad Ali, whatever you do in the first three quarters of a round, you want to close strong in the last thirty seconds to let to give that final impression to the judges that you were kicking butt in this round. And there's something to be said for that. And what a way it's going to, it would go out here. Either way, it's not going to be good. But I mean, if to go out with a, with a whimper here, the way that they kind of have been the last few games would be, uh, you know, would be really, uh, would really shape and, and taint Ron's time here, which wasn't all bad, but it just was underwhelming until now where it's just like beyond it's underwater. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you think about Joe Gibbs' second run, because it ended with that 2007 playoff season, people often look back on that and say, hey, two playoff years out of four, and that guy made the playoffs twice with Dan Snyder as owner, and of course it is Joe Gibbs, one of the greatest head coaches in NFL history, but you know, what's also true is that Joe's 2004 and 2006 seasons were double-digit loss seasons, and you look at the player personnel that was done uh, by Washington over those four years, not exactly stellar, some hits, but you know, it wasn't this great run, but because it ended reasonably well with a playoff season, you can kind of frame things in a certain way, and you know, that to me allowed Joe to leave on a relative high note. Now, you know, you had the death of Sean Taylor, so that was a, a gloomy season in a lot of ways, but you know, I always thought that one of the reasons Joe left after that 07 season was that he realized that the second go round was a lot harder than the first go round. The NFL had changed. And so to leave on a high note, you know, at least you could sort of leave with your head held up high. I think that that's what Ron Rivera wanted with this season as much as anything. I think it's possible that even had the commanders made the playoffs this season, Ron might have left, you know, might have come to an agreement with Josh Harris and Ron would have just gotten out while the getting was still good. And going back to that quote that he gave to Kime months ago, I think that was part of that, uh, part of the motivation for that quote of, you know, 
I, I can leave with my head held high. I can leave having you know established a foundation. Heck, uh, Jeremy Fowler had a, a nugget like that in a report last week, saying that Ron is comfortable or at peace with his time here. You know, that, that, that's that's the spin that you always want. You know, like it's a depressing thought to say that you put so much into something for four years and you end up leaving it basically the same as when you found it. You know, like that. That's that's a that's a really downer of a thought to have. But that may be the reality here. And, you know, it's not to say that Ron's a horrible person. OK, but, you know, he's been getting paid. The belief, as you know, is that Ron gets paid between seven and eight million dollars a year. He's paid a lot of money to do this. And the job has not been done well enough. There's no disputing that. And it's not necessarily all on him because he worked for a horrible owner. But so much of it is on him because he presided over both coaching and player personnel. So, you know, that is the reality. And if you're a fan of this team, as I am, you know, all you can do is hope that the next regime is a lot better. And uh, we should be arriving at that next regime sooner rather than later. Um, I've kept you a long time. I did have one more topic, but you can tell me you need to go and deal with life. No, that's okay. So while I was away, as, as, as we were discussing earlier, uh, Ted Leontis and uh, the state of Virginia came to terms unsigned it's not binding all that stuff but it looks like they're going to be moving the the wizards and capitals to virginia and there's going to be a new stadium built obviously that's a huge impact on how on the fan bases for those teams and what it means to the district to, to have that to have them leave in like 2028 or something but it also there's an impact on the commander situation because virginia i thought virginia was been it was a clear third but whatever there was another bargaining chip for the Josh Harris group there. Um, you can answer all aspects of this as you want, but what what's your kind of view of where this all leads now uh, for the commanders uh, with Virginia making its play and, and likely not net, therefore being in the mix for uh, building a new stadium? Yeah, I saw this from a commander's perspective as greatly increasing the likelihood of the commander's next stadium being in D.C. Because I think for the longest time, what you had was the team wanting the next stadium to be in D.C., but the D.C. government, maybe not so much. I think now there is an increased onus and increased pressure on the D.C. government, especially the mayor. Uh, to get this deal done. Now, we know that there are a lot of wild cards in the Commander's Next Stadium being in D.C. So, you know, nothing is for sure here. I, I totally recognize that. But I think from purely a commander's perspective, uh, yes, this does, I suppose, lessen your leverage and that this would seem to lessen the likelihood of Virginia being a strong player for the stadium. But I think this put a lot of heat on Mayor Bowser. I mean, the, the, the reactions to this have been really interesting. So you do have the people who, you know, they are demonizing Ted and they're furious at Ted. And that's where it ends. But I, I'm seeing a lot of anger and I think it's justified anger at Mayor Bowser and at the D.C. government. I mean, from my perspective, there's no halo over Ted Leonsis' head. Okay, let's make that clear. But I think that the D.C. government blew it in this situation in so many different ways. And so I think there's pressure on the D.C. government, you know, Mayor Bowser, the city council, et cetera, to fix this, right? And I put fix in quotation marks. So how do you fix this? Well, unless you somehow are able to keep the caps and wizards, uh, you get the stadium deal done uh, with the commanders. And uh, I would think that this only helps the leverage for Josh Harris in negotiating with the city of D.C. So 
That's how I view it with the caveat of, again, there are a lot of things in play here and a lot of things that can change. So, you know, you you never feel like 100 percent certain about anything with this stadium situation, which has been going on forever. But uh, I saw it as raising the uh, the likelihood of the commander's next stadium being in D.C. I I will just say and I've given my thoughts already on previously on, you know, Ted and whatever he's doing. But in terms of the in terms of D.C., you know, this whole time they've been, you know, really pushing for the commanders. And then you saw there was some pushback with some people in, in the DC government about, Hey, a, a football stadium does not really work for us. We need to focus on the other thing. The, the, I completely agree with that. I mean, I'm not doing, I don't have the numbers and I understand that a, a, an NFL stadium can do things like have a world cup here or Taylor Swift have, you know, four shows in a row or super bowl or final four, whatever. I get all that. But on a day-to-day basis, Cap One has got to be far more valuable to them. You can still have a lot of that stuff, um, and you have you know eighty to one hundred and twenty dates, depending on how teams do in the playoffs, locked in. And I understand there's issues with the, that part of town right now, especially with the office buildings being vacated post-COVID and I get all that there's things to discuss but it just it, it it felt like they were to me were being distracted by the idea of swinging back and getting the football team rather than saying hey we need to lock this in and who knows I mean maybe they were you know it does it does feel like they dropped the ball a bit um but uh at the same time I don't know why I, I don't understand why they weren't more focused on that because I guess it was just like we have to get this I you know, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. And now they're going to go hungry unless they somehow get the commanders to show up. And I, boy, Josh Harris has got to here. Here's my blank check. You, you know, you, you guys fill in the number because I'm telling you, it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be before. Well, and because Bowser and the city made that last gasp effort to keep the caps and wizards and who knows how sincere that effort was, but you know, the city put out that number of $500 million. And so now if you're Josh Harris, you know that at the very least, the city has $500 million to play with, you know? And so like that number got put out there. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is a, a bad look in so many ways uh, for DC. And it's unfortunate because I think all things being equal, you would want Caps and Wizards games to be in DC. Now, I'm not one of these people who thinks that uh, you know, Alexandria, Virginia is on Mars. I mean, you know, again, some of the reactions to this to me have been really off-putting. The way Virginia gets talked about, like, oh my God, they're going to Alexandria. Like, really? Like, it's some podunk, you know, part of the country? Like, give me a break, you know? Uh, the, the, the area is a lot different now than it was 40 years ago. Like, there are a lot of people everywhere in what we call the DMV. So, you know, I think a, a Caps and Wizards Arena in Alexandria, if properly done, could be great. I, th- I think that could work out spectacularly well. Um, but yeah, I, I think we probably are going to be looking at the commander's next stadium in DC, even if it takes a while, you know, like if I'm Josh Harris, if this takes, if this means having to stay at FedEx a year or two longer than you want, no, you're not happy about that, but you want to get this right. And, you know, for better or for worse, there are people who really look at the commander's next stadium being in DC as like the home run. Uh, uh, personally, I don't see it that way. Like I, 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 I'm, I don't look at it like it's 1983 anymore. I think you could do the commanders next stadium elsewhere and it could be really good, but there's no doubt. I mean, I think an announcement of, Hey, the football team is back in DC. I think that would be very well received. And I think that that could be great too. Like I think if properly done, it could be really good. So um, it feels like that's what Josh Harris wants. And uh, I think now more than ever, that's uh, what the mayor 
Uh, and I would think a lot of people in D.C. want to. We'll see. Um, I've definitely been one of those people that was uh, angered by the by the by the move, but not 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 so much because Alexandria is, like you said, Mars. Although looking at a metro map coming from where I come from in Montgomery <laughs> County, it's I mean, first of all, telling me to take the metro, get it, get out of here. The metro as doesn't work essentially, so that's ridiculous. And even if it did, it's it's not central compared to where gallery places. All that said, the one part I found funny, and you're a Maryland guy, so I'll see if you you, you agree with me. This debate, like the Virginia people, were getting so mad at the Maryland people who were saying, you know, I'm not going to go to games over there. And they're like, well, we had to do it for all these years, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's the point. You guys never had a choice. If you wanted to go enjoy professional basketball or hockey, you had to either go to the Cap Center or D.C. It wasn't like an option. The, it, it, this isn't like the Orioles and the Nats where you can say, well, I, I'm an Orioles fan, but the Nats are closer. I'm gonna, like, no, this you want to go, you had to go there. Maryland people are now, and some of D.C., I guess, are now being told, Okay, you do have to change everything you've known your entire lives to go over there, and it's now a worse scenario. It is impossible to argue that it is not a worse scenario from a traffic standpoint, from a geography standpoint, uh, and all that stuff. So the, the the people who don't understand why Marylanders or some of DC are upset, they're not being babies. You, we have never. It, this has been the way it's been. And by the way, to be clear, also when the team first showed up. Back in the seventies, and they put the cap, they put their teams in the cap center. Well, that was great. the The city had the area had nothing prior to that. the the the, the basketball team was in Baltimore. The hockey team was an expansion team. They didn't even exist. So that's already a win for everybody. Then they move it into the city, which is what everybody would prefer on some basic level because it's just more excitement when it's in the city. That that's the case for any of these things. But again, that's actually closer to Virginia already, right? It's not going all the way out to Cap Center, or at least, you know. So the idea that, like, you know, Maryland has been the one, the Maryland fans have been the ones kind of losing to a degree already, and now it's being said, no, no, no. You Now you have to go all the way over there. I, I, I this is where I, this is, if I'm not, I get it, whatever. Ted's going to do what we want to do. But just saying that the Virginia people who are complaining, that the Maryland people are complaining, well, you know, I w- remember the internet, Al, when when the internet showed up and they were like, here, the internet for free, go ahead and take it. And all the newspapers screwed up because they said, here, we don't, the internet, who cares? We want you to buy the physical paper. We'll give you this thing. And then they realized, oh crap, we, uh, w- we can make money off of this. We, well, we're going to charge you. And people are like, get out of here. I'm not paying for something you were giving me for free. Well, it's the same argument. Anything you get now. And then they say, no. You can't have it the same way. People are going to be upset. That that's just yeah. common nature. So to act like Marylanders are insane is nuts. That's my rant. no. I, I, I am a Marylander. Uh, I can vouch for that. We're not insane. Uh, but I do think that there is. And it's not so much a Maryland thing, but it is like an immediate DC area thing. There is this like elitist attitude, and I, and I say that very comfortably because I am one of those people. I am an immediate DC area elitist. So if you live in like the city of D.C. or you live in, say, Montgomery County, Maryland, you do have this idea of, oh, Alexandria, you know. I mean, remember when the the Dumfries thing came out with the Commander Stadium? I mean, 
I'm not telling you that Dumfries is the ideal spot for the commander's next stadium, but boy, the way that people talked about Dumfries, I mean, again, you would think that it is this backwards portion of the country in which you have three people and a bunch of wildlife living. Like, no, there are people there. Again, it's not 1983. Uh, the, the population has up big time. The demographics have changed a lot. Like things are a lot different now in this area than they were 40 years ago. So you can put major things like arenas in places other than the city of D.C. in this area. And the place can be just fine and things can work out just well. Like there are Wizards fans outside of the city of D.C. You know, it's the other thing that's so funny, too. And look, I don't say this as an indictment of Wizards fans, of which I am one, because we have taken a lot of abuse because the team has been so bad. But, you know, the Wizards have been dead last in the NBA and per percent capacity home attendance each of the last three years. So, I mean, it's not like people are flocking Capital One Arena now. Now, again, that's a function of the team being so bad. But uh, I don't know. I've just gotten kind of a kick out of that. Like, all of a sudden, <laughs> people are dying to go to Wizards games with, like, nobody has been going to Wizards games for years. So, look, Ted's got to do a much better job as Wizards owner. We get that. If the team continues to be bad, it doesn't matter where you put the stadium. Nobody's going to go. Um, and, and like you said, and I do think this is key, this is not a done deal. Like, this is not done done. I, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that ultimately the Capitals and Wizards remain in D.C. Um, we'll see. But, it's you know, nothing's been signed. Nothing's official, like you said. So it's, it's not uh, totally finished yet. By the way, if I had known you were pro Dumfries, we may not have ever had this arrangement. Um, <laughs> not, not pro, but I'm standing up for my people in Dumfries, Virginia. I did not like the way that Dumfries got spoken about a, a year or two ago. Um, here, here's my quick conspiracy theory. Assuming that the deal does go through, uh, we nobody can get Ted Leonsis off the stance that this team needed to get out of the middle forever. Once John Wall got broke down, basically. And it was like sort of like, okay, well, what are we going to do here with Bradley Beal? They should have traded him. We all know that, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't. He hung in there and hung in there and hung in there until this year. And this year he says, okay, we're going to blow out Tommy Shepard. We're going to bring in new people and we'll trade Bradley Beal. And then a few months later, he announces they're moving to Virginia. Is it conceivable that Ted had already decided he was going to do this months ago and said to himself you know what if we go downhill for the next three or four years and build this thing up but take a bunch of l's in the meantime that allows us to when we get to the new place be on the ascension even if it's just young players that haven't gotten to the playoffs yet and i'm willing to say screw it people are going to be mad over here anyway and when nobody's showing up like you just said the attendance is bad i'm not going to worry about these next three years but we're going to plan ahead is there any possibility that that is why he finally got off of the Brad. You know, I got to stay in the eight seed chase and and with Bradley Beal, et cetera. That's my that's my conspiracy theory. I, I think that's very plausible. I think that's a very smart theory because that was such a one eighty from what we have known Ted to be, which is like this man who lives in fear of the total teardown rebuild. You wondered what changed, and we all kind of assumed. Well, he was sick and tired of the team not being any good. You know. Uh, but I think what you said makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, you look at the Nationals, they did the worst thing you can do, which is they opened a new ballpark while being really bad. Like, you want that. You want the new venue to open with the team on the rise. And uh, if this Wizards rebuild goes well, and that's a big if, but if it does, 
the timelines would work out, right? 2028, 2029 would be around the time that the Wizards would be good. Maybe sooner, hopefully sooner. Good God, I hope so sooner. But yeah, by by then, the team, if things go well, should be in a pretty good spot. So I think there's a lot of uh, plausibility to that. All right. Well, look, uh, there, there's no conspiracy theory as to why one should listen to the Al Galdi podcast uh, at Al Galdi on Twitter. You can find the podcast wherever you do your uh, podcasting. And obviously he talks a lot about not just the commanders and Ted Leonsis things, but all things DC sports and beyond So go check out Al on his show. And of course I'll be on there next week and we're getting close to the end here, Al. I, I don't know. Maybe do we need to come up with season end? Uh, I don't know. What's our joint name. Uh, uh, Stan Galdi, uh, Stan Aldi. I don't know. Uh, come up with some awards. I don't know. Maybe we, ha- maybe we have to come up with something like that. Well, I'll never forget one year when the Redskins did their Player of the Year awards. Casey Robach got Offensive Player of the Year. No disrespect to the great Casey Robach, but there was like nobody better to give the award to. And I feel like that's kind of where we're at with this season. (laughs) You're going to get some de facto winners uh, of uh, quote unquote awards uh, for this commander season. But yes, we will figure out the proper way to pay homage to this 2023 commander season for sure we can't even just give it to tress way and be like all right we're going to him it's not it can't even do that this year so we'll have to see about certainly can't do it to the long snapper um al appreciate it man we'll talk next week yep thank you all right big thanks to al galdi for his time thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast and my work on the athletic but that is it for now uh ben standing signing off until next time see ya As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 